Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast, where I help empower families to thrive after having a baby. My goal is to educate on real food, physical health, and becoming our best selves. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and have a master's in data analytics. I'm the co-author of the Real Food for Real Moms postpartum prep guide and the creator of the Real Food for Real Babies online baby feeding course. This episode is the third and final episode in the series with Anne-Marie Garland and we're talking about her cesarean birth. So we start off where we left off last week with her trying to turn a breech baby to then going into labor, still hoping the baby would flip and eventually having a cesarean. We also talk about her experience reading certain types of birth stories that made her feel like a failure going into a possible cesarean. And we talk about why being exposed to a variety of birth stories might be more beneficial for women to feel empowered in whatever birth experience they're going to have. I absolutely love this episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Hi, Anne-Marie. It's so great to have you back again for the third part of our pregnancy series. I'm excited to talk about this one. Yeah, I guess pregnancy and birth uh, series, which we'll get to in this episode. But um, so where we left off, we know your baby, your first baby was breech. Yes. So she was breech from, if you haven't listened to the first one, the second one, I guess. (laughs) She was breech from like the minute I felt her kicking to the time she was delivered, I felt the kicks in the same place. So I know she was breached literally the entire time. Like, I don't think she went head down a single time during my pregnancy. And so to give some context here, I did, it was my goal, was my intention, my desire to have an unmedicated vaginal birth or to try for that as much as possible. I planned on delivering in a birthing center and had to, uh, I ended up having to be, have my baby in a hospital because of her being breached. But you know, this, that was not my goal. And I read all the books. So this is kind of where I want to start my story is in some ways, think ways that we are doing women a disservice by talking about unmedicated births and talking about like the books that we suggest people read and these empowerment stories and um, sharing these like perfect birth stories and how those can at times be really, really helpful and inspiring, but they can also be, I think, detrimental to women whose births don't turn out the way that they wanted to by only being, by only exposing them to those types of things. So we'll start by talking about one of the birth books that I ha- that I was reading and finding like I loved it. I loved the birth book. It's Ina May's Guide to Childbirth and if you've been pregnant, you I hope you've read it. It really is a great book. However, I will say there was a point in my pregnancy of knowing that a cesarean was like a very real possibility that reading these stories, some of the stories in her book made me feel very guilty for not being able to 
have like feel like the likelihood of me having that experience was like very slim. It's interesting because I haven't read the book in my second pregnancy. And so it's been so long now since I've read it. I don't know if it is very blatant in the book or if this was just my own interpretation because of how I was coming to this, like thinking, okay, a cesarean might happen. But I felt like the thought of having a cesarean was a shaming experience from that book. Like I was feeling a lot of shame about that possibility from the book. And so eventually I had, I realized this and had to stop reading it. But now when I hear other people recommend this book, I feel like the book should be recommended with the caveat of birth can take a lot of turns and it doesn't invalidate your experience if it doesn't go the way you want. And if it's not the perfect, beautiful birth story that you thought it would be. And the reason why I really like have felt called to share my birth story is I still feel like I did have, well, I feel like it was, it obviously wasn't what I wanted. My birth was still a very beautiful birth experience. And you can have that no matter what happens, right? Like it doesn't have to be this, this unmedicated experience in order for your birth to be beautiful. You just have to change your perception around what could happen and what might happen for you and be open to that and grieve the loss of the experience that you wanted if it if it didn't work out, but not guilt yourself or shame yourself or diminish the experience that you did have. And I feel like that book in particular for me gave me those vibes. And so now when I recommend it, I recommend it with a caveat of like, if it's, if I'm recommending it to a close friend, I'm going to say, read this, but also let's have a conversation when you're ready about what an, what a cesarean is like so that they are open to all the experiences. Right. And they don't feel like there's shame around one or the other. Yeah. I love that. And I'm excited to get into this because first of all, I love birth stories. (laughs) Um, and I did, um, I listened to the birth hour podcast a ton when I was pregnant with my first, like obsessively, like multiple birth stories a week. And they, I think they really do do a good job of covering a lot of different birth experiences without any judgment. So I was able to just learn about things that happen during labor and delivery that I hadn't heard of. Like I ended up having a retained placenta with my first and I knew what that was. And I knew like the different ways that women like handled that because of this podcast. So I I think that's a great resource too. They certainly have a lot of like perfect home births. And I think for some people it can be triggering. Like you may, I think at 36 weeks, my midwife said, okay, stop listening to any birth stories with negative outcomes just to get out of that headspace. But I, I really liked that it kind of covered a wider range of birth possibilities than maybe I, I read Ina May's guide as well, but um, I do think it is a narrower range of possible birth outcomes. Right. And I, I agree with you that like exposing yourself to a variety of different outcomes is what's so helpful because I think when we come at it with this idealistic perspective of what a beautiful birth has to 
has to look like, then it can put a lot of stress and pressure on the mother, like going into labor, but also postpartum if things didn't work out the way they wanted to. And so I think just normalizing the fact that, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I have no idea what you're talking about with the placenta. So (laughs) not going to Google it at this point, my pregnancy, but um, yeah, I do think that it's important for women to be exposed to all different areas so that they can at least be prepared for what may happen. Hopefully won't, but yeah. yeah. And I, I was like planning a home birth, but I also wanted to like talk through, I mean, I even saw a therapist of like, okay, if this happens, we'll go to this hospital and here's, you know, like just kind of, I guess, be mentally prepared. Um, so that it wasn't this big upset. It was just, it went differently, which is I'm sure easier said than done, but, um, yeah, that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about your experience. I love that you said that too, because that's one of my biggest suggestions is just being aware of what does it look like to have a cesarean? What would it be like? What would the experience, what does the, I'm going to go in detail. Like what one of my friends did was she explained exactly what was going to happen down to like, your husband's going to be in these clothes. This is what the room is going to look like. And for me, that was so helpful. Like, I feel like it would be so much more terrifying to go into that experience, not knowing those things. And then to, and that was for me preparing, being prepared. Like you're very likely going to have a cesarean because your baby is breech. For somebody, I can't even imagine for somebody who doesn't prepare for anything other than a, let's say it's a vaginal unmedicated home birth. That's all they prepare about and prepare for. And then it ends in a C-section. Like to me, that would just be so traumatic. And that's why I think what you just said, like you went with a therapist and you discussed all these options that could end up happening. That's definitely my top choice, like top recommendation for every woman is to just be prepared. And that was something um, Liz Wolf had shared about. I don't know if you followed that at all, but she had a completely surprise cesarean. And she just said she regretted not looking into it at all because um, given that she had a cesarean, like there, there would have been some things she would have wanted to do, like, um, like the, you know, the gentle C-section types of things, but because she had not even considered that as a possibility that I think it made the guilt even worse, like feeling unprepared for it. But so I was glad. Yeah. One more thing that I would say is was like felt triggering about the INMA guide was that anytime a, a story would start with like a subsequent birth. So this was somebody's second birth. It was almost always that this person had this birth experience at the farm, which the farm is what they called the birth center that INMA has or had, I'm not really sure. Um, but their, their experience at the farm was always a experience of like, quote unquote, redemption from a traumatic experience in a hospital. And to me, that just feels like, even if it's not overtly saying like every hospital experience has to be a bad one or has to end in forceps or some type of intervention that you don't want, 
it gave that that connotation because literally every story would be like, when my son was born, it was an awful experience. And then I had this great experience here where it was totally unmedicated and vaginal. And so then it makes you feel like I'm not going to have a good experience because this choice is taken away from me. Like I have to have a cesarean. And so now it's, I'm not going to have this beautiful experience that this other person has. And that's all I've exposed myself to. Yeah. So what was that like for you? You were preparing, you had tried all the things about trying to flip the baby and it wasn't working. So it sounds like you started preparing mentally for knowing you were going to have a cesarean. Yes. So one thing that I wanted to add, and this is kind of like a part two to the whole flipping the baby story. But one of the people that we like practitioners that I saw to try to help me flip my breech baby was a like mindset energy worker. And she had said something, I can't remember how it came up, but she said something about like, I'm sensing some type of emotion towards you and your husband. And he he was in the room. And at the time, I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, I probably froze. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what, what is this woman talking about? And then all of a sudden, like the realization hit me and I just started like crying. And I realized that I was holding on again because of this IMA book. It's interesting that I suggest this book because um, apparently it caused a lot of like strife in my first pregnancy. But the because of the IMA book and other like birth stories I would listen to or YouTube videos that I would watch. Cause just like you, I watched a lot. Like I focused so heavily on birth stories with my first pregnancy. I always saw the husband saying, I'm like going to cry just thinking about this. Like I always saw the husband at the end saying like, I've never been, I've never been more proud of my wife. Like I, she's a superhero. She, and it was really like in that moment, I realized like, I'm not going to have that experience where my husband can look at me and think like, I can't believe my wife just did this. Um, anyway, so it's just like, it's just one more thing. I don't even know why I wanted to share that. I guess. Just, <laughs> um, just you like still the- did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, we'll see what happens after I go through a vaginal birth, which like, you know, hopefully should happen in the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll see what I think about it, but I will not sugarcoat the cesarean experience. It was not easy. I would absolutely, if it had nothing to do with like my belief system and my desire to have a vaginal birth, I would never choose. I would never elect to have a cesarean. It was not a fun experience. And I will say that it's like not a, an easy experience for a woman to go through either. So yes, 100% your husband should be proud of you no matter what. But I think it was mostly just like, this is just another thing that's being taken out of my control. Like it's not within my control and I'm not going to have that experience with my husband. Anyway, so this energy worker picked up on this emotion that I didn't even know I was carrying that I'm still obviously carrying four years later. I guess let's get into the birth. Should we go into my birth story? Yeah. Are we there? Okay. So I had I had what I assume was the stomach flu right at the end. It was around 38 weeks. And 
I was like in the middle of the night, obviously the stomach flu always starts at like 9 PM and then you're up all night. So I had the stomach flu and then shortly after, I don't know if it was in the middle of the night or the morning, I started having contractions and my mom is, my mom and sister are both postpartum nurses. So they're not labor and delivery nurses, but they are like kind of in the the realm of babies and births. And both of them, they were like, you're having contractions because you're dehydrated. So drink as much water as you can. So, you know, we were trying to get all that to stop. And I was having mostly back labor, like back, is that what it's called? Back labor? Mm-hmm. Um, probably because of her positioning and the contractions weren't awful. They were, I could still sleep through them for like a while. It was very interrupted sleep, but I could still sleep through them. So I will, you know, not trying to like be a superhero that I was contracting for so long. But um, anyway, so we ended up going to the hospital that evening to get fluids to try to stop the contractions. And my husband... (laughs) It's funny because I we have a doula that we're getting this this time we're having a doula and we were we were at like this Zoom call with the doula and a bunch of other couples and there were so many couples there I was shocked there were so many couples there that would just were so open about the fact that like we're getting a doula and I'm so excited that we're going to have somebody to help my husband cuz he had a really hard time the first time I'm like wait a second, is that common for the husband <laughs> to be maybe a little dramatic <laughs> like during labor? Apparently it is, at least on this doula call, it absolutely was the majority of people were saying that their husbands had a hard time and that the doula was there to support the husband too. So to put this into context, when we decided to get a doula this time, I told my husband, I'm like, we're doing it. We're getting a doula. And he said, oh, thank God, I need somebody (laughs) to help me. And I looked at him in that moment and I like thinking he was joking and he was dead serious. (laughs) And it's so true. It was like, I joke now. I'm like, you would almost believe that he was the one giving birth. But I think it was just anxiety and things that were going on in his life and his lack of sleep just all of it was the perfect storm. And he was out of his mind. (laughs) And I remember at the hospital, it was probably like midnight at this point. And uh, the hospital was like, your contractions still haven't stopped, but they're not really progressing either. So like, we think you need another bag of fluids. And my husband looked at me, he's like, I got to go home and get to bed. I was like, well, I guess we're not going to do another bag of fluids. So we went home. And, um, I think I slept in the guest bedroom to try to like, let him get sleep, but neither of us slept well and contractions started getting worse. I wasn't really able to sleep through them anymore. So this goes on for another day. And then at that point, I thought that I was like leaking amniotic fluid or something. We went to the hospital one more time to see if everything was fine. And they were like, Nope, your water didn't break. You're fine. You still aren't progressing. Just like go home, try to drink as much as you can. And don't eat anything because they kept, then they started, I think, thinking that I was going to have to come back. But that lasted then another day. And then by the end, it was, uh, I was 18 weeks, three days, and we were watching 
Star Wars. It was Christmas Eve. <laughs> we were watching Star Wars on the couch, and then suddenly my water broke. And I will say, like, if you're leaking amniotic fluid, it's totally different than your water breaking, which is... Anyway, so at that point, that was when my contractions, literally, my water broke, I lost my mucus plug, had the blaze show all, all at once, and my contractions went from three to a 20. Like, suddenly, they were the worst thing that I could possibly imagine. And Now, were you still hoping she would flip at this point? Yeah. Is that why? Okay. Yeah. That's why you're so going through labor. <laughs> right. Because we kept waiting and they, they would always say like, you can wait until you can keep doing this as long as you want until your water breaks. Once your water breaks, you have to come in because when you have a breech baby, the risk of cord prolapse goes up. Okay. And that's when the cord comes out before the baby, which is like, if anybody here, if this ever happens to you and you've never been told about this, this is something you should know. So if your cord comes out, and this doesn't only happen with the breech baby, it's super rare, I think, regardless. But if the cord comes out before the baby, you're, you need to have your partner, somebody near you needs to hold the baby's head in, call 911 and don't move because the the chances of the, I think them not getting oxygen is what the risk is there. So my water broke and then it was like game on. This is probably at like 11. 45 at night on Christmas Eve, we get to the hospital like midnight and they, you know, clearly can see that my water broke and they're like, okay, well you're having this baby. So at that point I will say, and this is probably the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on like, can I truly handle a unmedicated birth is I remember thinking in that moment, like, thank goodness I'm getting an epidural soon because I remember feeling like it was just the contractions were so intense and that's what scares me now it's like was I actually like a five or was that like transition (laughs) because if that's transition like I can do this but if that's a five I don't know if I can go through with this so we'll see what happens I don't know how dilated I was or anything but uh okay so then we get into the actual cesarean. So a doctor that I didn't know, it was really unfortunate because it was Christmas day at that point in the early morning, my doctor wasn't there. So I had to go with a doctor. I didn't know my husband, like I said, is like out of his mind. I'm out of my mind. So we had planned on having, they knew we wanted to have the gentle cesarean, which is what you talked about. I think it, some hospitals call it a family-centered cesarean. And the difference with that is you can either choose to have a clear drape, which is what goes between like your boobs and your the belly. So uh, it, it can be opaque or it can be clear. So you can see things. You still don't see what's going on though, because your belly is like in the way, just FYI. Um, or what they'll do, so there are two options with this, the clear drape or they'll drop the drape after the baby comes down. So you can kind of see the baby being born, essentially like them pulling the baby out. And so we chose that. They knew they had those wishes, but basically everything else was off the table. Like we had made a birth playlist to listen to in the in the operating room, which I would highly suggest doing because it's the very sterile, bright white environment. And I just think it would have been more soothing, but that didn't happen. And so what will happen is you will be separated from your partner 
and you will be taken into the room and given like a back epidural. I don't know if, do you know if they do epidurals that way for everyone? Because I know a friend of mine just had an epidural and she was talking about it being on a drip. So is there a way they do it like in your arm as an IV? Do you know? No, the drip is in your spine as well. So, okay. So maybe there was something coming out of my back and I just had no idea, but they, so they did the epidural and I had nurse, I had nurses with me that were holding my hands through this process. But just so you know, like everything is very, it, you will be taken into like door after door of a progressively brighter white, more and more sterile, cold environment. And like I said, you'll be separated from your partner. They'll have to put on like things on their shoes, like full on operating gear, like a hat, like everything. And then they'll be brought in after the fact and not after the operation, obviously, but like after you are laying on the table, the drape is up and all of that is in place. And they, at least for me, my partner was, my husband was right next to me, like by my face. And one thing that I think is important to say is I think it's really common. So this wasn't just my experience. It's really common to be really nauseous during the, because of the medication that they give you. And that was, I mean, I literally was like on the verge of throwing up the entire time. I never did, but I think it's more common for women to throw up. And the other thing that I want to say for everybody to be prepared for, whether you plan on having a cesarean or not, is that the epidural doesn't stop you from feeling what's happening. It just stops you from feeling the pain of what is happening. So you don't feel the pain, but like the doctor said, oh, you'll feel it's normal to feel like tugging and pulling, but literally you're feeling it's the most nauseating and like traumatic memory that I have. It's like, I literally would feel them removing the organs from my body. Like it was just, that's why I would never choose it again. It was such an awful feeling, like such a nauseating feeling. And, um, it, and it lasts a while, or at least it feels like it, it literally felt like it took like 10 minutes for them to get the baby out. I'm sure it's probably faster than that. It was just like my, like time slowed down in that experience. Cause it wasn't a fun experience, but you know, in the end, the baby comes out. I actually just learned this. I didn't realize, but my husband cut the cord and I asked him just a few weeks ago if uh, if he saw like what I looked like. And he said, yes, he literally saw like all of my organs on like the little, I don't know, tray or whatever it is that they put them on. He's like, yeah, like I saw all of that. I'm like maybe wow. that's why you were so like out of your mind. So I guess prepare your partner for that if they want to cut the cord. Um, another thing to know is that your the time frame that they can delay cord clamping is a lot shorter with a cesarean he also thinks that it was shorter than this but they supposedly can wait 45 seconds but he thinks that they he felt like it was really really rushed like even more so than that and so there's that ordeal 
And I had thought like, and obviously I didn't go through this, but I had thought when you Googled like dental C-section, there was kind of like a list and you could ask for delayed corn clamping. Like, obviously this all depends on the hospital and your, your circumstances. But like, I think these are things you can all ask about, um, or like if you want to do some sort of swab, um, Oh, right. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that option? Sure. Like the swab. Um, so the swab is like, they literally take a Q-tip because when you don't have a vaginal birth, what um, you get like beneficial, when a baby is born vaginally, they get beneficial bacteria from your birth canal, from, from your vagina. Mm-hmm. They get that on their, on their body and that can help promote their like healthy microbiome. So what you can do if you're having a cesarean and you're prepared is to swab the like swab the inside of your vagina and then rub that on the baby. We it's just a Q-tip. Because, uh, well, my husband in planning this, he was like, "I am literally going to put my hands in your vagina and rub it all over the baby." But then neither of us were in the right frame of mind to even <laughs> think about asking for the like the swab. So. <laughs> He's he's like, I wanted to ask about sticking my hands in her vagina, but then I chickened out. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, he it was just so then like again to just kind of convey how out of it he was. I like wanted him to be with our daughter, like while she was getting weighed and you know, they they kind of take she wasn't we denied like the the bath and all of those things, but there are still other things that they have to check the child, or at least in, in an operating room, they have to check the child. And so I was like, go over there with her, but he would not leave me. And I don't even think he was, from my memory, he wasn't even like responding <laughs> to me. He was just like, like deadpan glazed over, like staring at me. Um, while our child is. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just look at her from over here. <laughs> well, this time he'll have his doula. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he seems, I thought that I might've been going into labor like a week ago now, early, it was a false alarm, but um, we were not prepared. You know, that was 37 weeks and he, he got all freaked out again. I was like, oh no, dear God. <laughs> I'm like telling the baby, I'm like, do not come right now. Do not come right now. <laughs> he is not ready, but I think he is now. I think we're in a better place. So he's more prepared now. I think he'll be better. Yeah. But yeah, the, even our friends, like they saw him. So we had her at 1, 1 a.m. on Christmas day. And the, our friends brought us Christmas dinner that night. And to this day, they still are like, I have never seen James so out of it. Like he was a different person. <laughs> it's just funny to think that like, I don't know. I did, I did kind of feel like I had to, I had to hold my shit together for my husband. <laughs> it's just crazy. So yeah. yeah. I think uh, that is one nice thing about like a home birth is like, I don't know what he was doing for a lot of it. Like he could just kind of like my mom, like still makes fun of him. Like, Oh, you were just like downstairs eating some sandwiches. Like <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, he, he, my husband would love to have a home birth if I felt comfortable with it, but I just don't. Yeah. 
but you're, uh, you kind of, it seemed like the people kind of had shifts. Like I had my mom, his mom, him, my doula, like, um, so I didn't really miss him when he wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. So that was, that was pretty much it. The, the other thing I would say is like, by the end of our time at the hospital, it was just like anything that would happen was almost like any bad thing that would happen, or I shouldn't say bad thing, but just thing that went against our plan. It was laughable at that point because like everything had gone against our plan. Like the, the cesarean itself, like we had forgotten so many things that we had wanted to do. Um, the, so this is kind of a funny story, but they wheeled, you know, us into our room and wheeled me into the the room that I was going to be in for the next like three or four days while I was recovering. And we thought that we had like left the placenta in the operating room. Like we couldn't find it. We didn't know where it was. And so we were like, dang it. Like we wanted to encapsulate that. Well, come to find out on day four, when I'm leaving the hospital, I pick up this like plastic bag. It was like a drawstring bag, but it was like plastic and super heavy. And I'm like, what the heck is in here? <laughs> Turns out my placenta was in there the whole time, unrefrigerated, just hanging out in the hospital room with us. And oh it's, my God. It's interesting because like, ne- like at the time I'm just like, well, what do I do with this? Obviously it's bad. So I just like put it in the trash bin in the room. Didn't tell anybody about it. And then of course, now that I'm pregnant and like feeling like my placenta is the sacred place. I'm like, my first placenta is literally decomposing in a landfill. Like what was I thinking? (laughs) Just like throwing it in the trash can. Like, why didn't I tell somebody to like dispose of this medically or something? Radical waste. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I do have an episode on uh, placenta, like consuming your placenta postpartum as well. We have a I'd like, that was like one of the biggest things that I told our doula. I was like, okay, you bring, you bring a cooler. I'm going to bring a cooler. So that we got the cooler checked. Like we already have it paid for to get it encapsulated. Not on us this time. Yeah. I learned from my mistake. Yeah. I ate mine raw the second time, which is. Oh, wow. That's that's like intense smoothies it didn't it really didn't taste like anything like I thought it might be like liver like where it's metallic-y or something but it totally wasn't did you like freeze it and then blend it into a smoothie yeah I did a couple like fresh my doula made them and then like Scott would just like make me a placenta smoothie every morning but like the doula cut it and put it in like chunks um so he just like I I don't think he thought it was a big deal it was like take a chunk and make a smoothie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying like wild as in it's just, I've never heard of anybody doing this. It's not like I wouldn't do this. Like now that I'm thinking about if I hadn't already paid for placenta encapsulation, like maybe I should have done that. That's there's like a recipe in the the first 40 days that postpartum book. And I was like, okay, (laughs) very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then like we had a nurse who fired us. I don't know. It was just like fired us as patients. It was very difficult. Huh. Another thing I feel like people don't talk about my first day postpartum. I was hormonally like, Oh my gosh, I was a mess. I was 
so anxious, really, really emotional. I think it's probably different for everyone. But again, just prepare yourself for the emotional swings of postpartum. It was intense. Yeah. And now, so what's your, your um, thoughts on calling it a C-section versus a cesarean? So this was something that I, like I was in all the Facebook groups leading up to my first birth and really active and asking people for suggestions about cesareans or, um, or like flipping babies or whatever. And I probably, I'm sure at some point, just like everyone else was like, Hey, I'm probably going to have to have a C-section or section or whatever, you know, phrase that I used. Do you have any tips for that? I'm sure that's probably what I said. And somebody commented in the, in it. And they said, one thing that I've, I did to help my body accept it more and for it to feel more gentle and loving is to start calling it a cesarean instead of a C-section. And it really stuck with me. And ever since then, I've always tried to call it a cesarean because it does, it just feels like it feels less clinical and medical and harsh. Yeah. Cesarean versus a section. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but I like that. Well, thank you so much for sharing. This was fun. This (laughs) this third one wasn't super mini, but um, I love that we got to talk about that and maybe once you're ready, we can have a VBAC episode at some point. Oh my gosh. Yes. Let's, <laughs> let's call that in. Yes. I'm medicated. I don't want to put pressure easy. on your, yes. I don't want to put pressure on your future experience. Obviously. You know, I'm prepared for anything that happens truthfully. Um, okay. I'd love for things to go my way according to the ideal plan, but I'm, I'm cool with it if it doesn't. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. You too. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, if you loved this episode, it would mean so much if you could give a rating and a review on iTunes. You can find me on Instagram at Your Nourished Baby. And if you have any topics or questions you want me to cover on the podcast, email me at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com.